0: Hi there, you're listening to The Green Room, a podcast taking you backstage and up close and personal with some of the biggest names in the music, comedy, film and TV worlds. Presented by the Handshake Agency and powered by Yamaha Headphones, I'm your host, Tiana Speter and it's so awesome to have you here with me today. In case you missed last week's episode, I had the absolute delight to spend some time with Canadian juggernaut Wade McNeil, aka the vocalist for hardcore punks Gallows, aka founding member of post-hardcore legends Alexis on Fire, And quite honestly, a man with so many other projects, it's probably almost easier and much more time efficient to say what he hasn't been part of at this stage. But most recently, Wade has been building towards the release of his new project with a debut self-titled album for Doom's Children. Offering an extremely intimate vantage point into Wade's world, Doom's Children was conjured partially while Wade was in rehab and completed during recovery with some fresh and scintillating sonic flavors coming to the fore alongside some extremely personal and vulnerable moments from this incredible artist. With Doom's Children album out later this month and fresh off a very long recording session on a Sunday night in Canadian time, Wade shared some extremely epic stories about his creative journey. Plus, we also got to get stuck into some unexpected and possible future adventures for him too. Definitely one you would want to check out, so be sure to give that a listen if you missed it last week. But from Canada to honorary Australians and actual Kiwis, my guest today is one of the founding members of a band who can not only trace their origin back to the 80s, as can I, the formation of this band also led to the group being dubbed as one of the best rock bands in New Zealand's history, while also holding the bragging rights for sharing the honour for most number one records for any New Zealand artist in history. She had, known briefly as Pacifier for a brief stint back in the day, are a rare entity in the heavier genres. Their resilience for over three decades and ability to wear healthy lashings of anti-establishment notions on their sleeves has seen the group cultivate a legion of zealous fans, with their fresh twist on their early thrash inspirations evolving into a modern and invigorating take on the alternative metal and rock genre spheres. Now with seven years between new tunes, She Had a raring to unveil their 10th studio album with the insatiable release Old Gods officially releasing into the world today. And in honour of the brand new release, John Togood, aka She Had's revered lead vocalist and guitarist, stopped by the green room to chat creative excitement, early days as a band, and a look at the journey to this brand new album. And just as a side note, it will be impossible to not hear it, but... John was not in an actual green room today. He was actually making time for us at an airport lounge, as you may or may not catch throughout the chat. So enjoy the little odd sounds and possible sights of what an airport's like. It's very foreign for a lot of us, but here we go. Awesome. Well, John from Shehad in the green room with me today. Your background looks particularly green, so you've really teamed with the theme, but hello and thank you for joining me.
1: Pleasure. Pleasure.
0: Uh, I know 2021 kind of feels like the weird um, cousin of 2020. We kind of have had a bit of false starts happening and I know there's a lot of strangeness happening, particularly here in Australia, but um, something very, very exciting that we have got in the new horizon for 2021 is the release of the 10th studio album for She Had, Mm -hmm. Old Gods raring to release into the world. I know this is not a new process for you or a new situation, but does it feel like a well oiled machine at this point, given what's happening around you? Like, can you kind of just shut your eyes and let this happen with muscle memory at this point?
1: Um, this is the first time we've taken seven years to write a record. Like literally what happened after five eyes was um, my wife and I had two children. And for the first time in my life, since I was 18 years old, I had no desire to write any music at all. And uh, it just became all about the kids. But um, in the background she had were still meeting up every sort of once every six months, jamming up some music and just like, and I was just like storing it all up in the background and about year three into that process, I started getting, I mean, cause I've got two children, right. And um, uh, my wife Sudanese, right. So um, which was totally random. Uh, my best mate happened to be a Sudanese national. And so we, decided to have kids, got married. And then we had two kids, you know, biracial, really interesting, amazing, beautiful children. And But in the meantime, in the background, um, you've got um, images of, of people um, walking around with tiki torches in America saying, the Jews will not replace us, which is very reminiscent of, of you know, because I'm a big history buff, because um, <laughs> I think it really serves to know where you are. <laughs> to, to, you know. So um, I just started to think, right, I've got two biracial children and that's, that's becoming mainstream again. It's like, I, and then basically all this music made sense to me after not making, well, I liked the sound of it, but I I just didn't have any words. And then, and then Australia caught fire for how many months there about, I don't know, four, three or four months. And again, that existential threat was there. And I'm thinking, man, what is the world I brought these kids into? And, um, uh, and then lockdown happened in Melbourne. And it was just like, uh, I just, luckily for me, um, i I've got a friend in a band called Body Jar Cam, who owns a um, skateboard store within the five kilometre radius of my house. So uh, he let me use the basement of that place. And I just took all the shihad music and got out four years, well, almost, yeah, four years of just going, what is happening in the world? And, is this just me feeling like this world's gone completely mad? Um, and I um, and I just had the space and just went boom. And all these words came and all these songs came. And it happened very naturally. I, I, I needed it for myself just to try and make sense of the world that we were sort of in. Um, and also just to, yeah, I just needed to hear some music that was basically saying, you're not mad. This is wrong. And um, uh, and so that's what, luckily, I, I play in this band that makes this really big sound, at, which is the muscle memory thing, I suppose, coming back to your initial question. It's like we've played together since we were kids at school and now I've just turned 50 and it's the same guys. And we do know where each other plays and it's we do know after all these years, we've worked out what we, our strengths are. And our strength is basically making really heavy riff based music that sort of heavy music for people that aren't really into the sort of i don't know um more sort of fantasy style metal i i, I for me I, if i'm listening to guitar rock i listen to probably the idols or just idols or sleeped mods you know it's sort of which isn't really metal or anything but it's hard music that's sort of quite honest and brutal so um and I sort of I like that sort of sticking it to the man sort of thing in my rock and roll, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think that's <laughs> yeah. what rock and for me, that's what rock and roll is all about. But obviously everyone has a different interpretation, but I'm totally, with you. Totally, <laughs> totally,
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I find that interesting. I mean, obviously you've released a couple of songs in the lead up, like Little Demons effectively and emotionally stripped the paint off the walls in my house, but it's just got so much to it. Like, yes, you've got that. Amazing, she had sound like it's all really there, but there's so much like thematically that is so resonant. And it's like what you were saying. I mean, what an incredible album, even as a snapshot for your children later on when you they grow up and you tell them what was going on around them. But I w- have read you say that that chorus on Little Demons is your favorite chorus on the album, which I would like to come back to. But sure. just in terms of that song being one of the first songs I believe that you wrote for the album. How did that song come to life? Because I believe there was quite an integral moment that kind of spurred that song. And how do you feel it sits thematically compared to the rest of the album?
1: I think um, one of one of the um, things that has been really concerning me about the sort of modern sort of new twenty four hour news cycle is the rise of the opinion the opinion pieces, especially especially I'm afraid to say on the right wing. I think it's a lot. It's very fear based and very um, it's it's to provoke reactions. It's to make people to, to divide people in my opinion, uh, it doesn't bring people together. It makes people angry, it makes people fearful of other people, which is the thing is this band. We love, we actually like humans and we, we, we do believe in the potential of good in humans. And that's, I think why it annoys me so much to watch, you know, people like Alan Jones, like really getting stuck into, you know, people just trying to do make the world a better place. So, um, I mean, it's and it's particularly relevant living in Mel, Melbourne, Australia, and the guy behind it, Rupert Murdoch, is an Australian as well. So it's really interesting. Um, I mean, it's just business at the end of the day, and that, but I think it's really, um, I think it's really irresponsible to to do to do what they're doing. So anyway, I I was watching. Q&A one night, um, which I actually really like. I think it's a good format. New Zealand doesn't have any program like that where you actually have people from all the political spectrum talking about particular issues. One episode I saw was um, uh, Tina McQueen, who was at that stage the Vice President of the Federal Party, uh, the Liberal Party in Australia, um, uh, basically telling a First Nations um, woman who was basically saying that In her hometown, she suffers racial abuse constantly and, you know, people just screaming stuff out the windows of their cars. And um, Tina McQueen turned around without realising what she was saying. She said, oh, I just don't know why you just don't call the police and have them hauled away. Not realising that that works for Tina McQueen, the Vice President of the Liberal Party, but not necessarily for this First Nations woman. And um, I just think that's when I just went... I've got to use her words against her. Like, I've just got to take that that bubble and just pop it, you know, because, I mean, that's just the thing. It's like going back to, you know, the, the opinion pieces, everything's just it's, this culture wall is just se- separating everybody to the point where we're living in different realities. And that's when you've got existential threats like climate change hanging over your head, we aren't going to be able to solve that uh, if we're all in different camps, you know. So I just I just wanted to use her words against her, really. And then from there it basically blossomed into this this song. So it's sort of which goes in totally different directions. It talks about, you know, the disenfranchisement of 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 sort of less powerful people from being able to vote in you know democratic elections and just things that you watch and go, oh that's how that's how that works, you know, like watch it happen slowly, erode these rights and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. That's, yeah, Little Demons is cool like that.
0: So with the song, obviously, it is so heart hitting Like, there's so much going on with it. And that story obviously explains how much weight is really behind it. But mm-hmm. coming back to what I've heard you say about it being your favourite chorus on the album, what is it you love the most about it? What makes this such a standout for you? I just,
1: I like the fact that I've used, I've turned those words of someone who I think does is unaware of why that is offensive to somebody on its head and and attacked back. And it's like, I don't know, I don't like using the word attack because, I mean, this music is definitely not pulling any punches, but it's all done, the thing is, this heavy record's done out of, like I say, it's like out of the fact that we actually really love humans and it's like to watch, you know, people who are selfish and greedy uh, basically going, this is the way to be, you know, assume the worst in humanity Get in there first because they're just going to screw you over if you don't screw them over. I don't want to live in that world. So this is my response to that, you know. And, um, and um, I think Little Demons, the chorus is such an unusual melody line and, and the riff is just this monolithic sort of, I don't know, modern sort of our ode to a modern Black Sabbath. That's what we'd imagine Black Sabbath if they were doing it now, you know, like, so that's what we're doing. And then to sing that over the top, it's like, oh, that works and it shouldn't work, you know? I think that's why I like it, you know? surprises me, yeah.
0: Well, I think the fact that you can still be surprised after all this time really excites me. Like, it's just, it's so inspiring to hear that. Stick with me. Coming up after this short break, John explores how the new album sits in the She Had catalogue, some pandemic silver linings and the ultimate quote-unquote revenge of the nerds that led to the She Had success story. Stick around more after this. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency Podcast Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical
1: heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows.
0: Looking back at the immense catalogue now, I mean, going back to churn to now, like you even had mentioned when Five Eyes came out, like you claimed it was the best in 15 years for She Had. I know we're in very early days, we're in very fresh days with Old Gods, but how do you feel this one sits in comparison to everything that's come before it?
1: I think this really is a distillation of, of, of everything that we've done. I mean, it's even got songs like Feel, a song called Feel the Fire on it, which is like, we've always dabbled in like, you know, Pop because we like pop music. I mean, my first record is "Hard Day's Night" by the Beatles, you know. So, um, and then following that, Bob Marley's uh, Legend Best of, you know. So, I and then and then from there, I was corrupted by Kiss Alive One, and then and then went into heavy guitar world. So, um, but we've always dabbled with pop, I suppose. And but we've always basically gone heavy record, pop record, alternative record, heavy record. This one's like, nah, man, just get all the bits where we do it right and go bang. Luckily for us, I think, we had that seven-year writing period. Usually it's a two-year cycle. So you usually just go, yeah, I reckon this is good. Bang. Five Eyes is a little different. We had a little bit more time. But with this one, it was like seven years. Like I said, I didn't actually realize. I didn't even think about writing for three years. But we were making all this music. So I had so much more to, to churn through. It was almost like doing a first album in a weird, weird way. like Because there's a reason why everyone's first album is so wicked. Because you had a lifetime to write it, you know? And um, in this one, I sort of feel like that with this, it's like with all the experience of 30 years of playing together, plus the space of a first album. So I think we managed to really weed it out to just being pure and bang. And it just goes, it just explodes this record. And luckily for us, um, the one positive, one of the positive things about the pandemic is we wanted initially to maybe go to Chicago with with Steve Albini because we always liked, you know, In Utero or something like that. I wanted to hear Tom's drums recorded by him. And then pandemic meant we couldn't go anywhere. So it's like, who produces records, heavy records in Australia? And luckily someone suggested Adam Spark from Birds of Tokyo. Now, I've got to admit, I I didn't know Birds of Tokyo's music that well. I knew that Kenny from Carnival sung in that band. And I had met Adam at a, a music awards and he was a lovely guy. But um, he heard our demos and went, I remember seeing you guys at a big day out really young when I was really young. And I've never heard a She Hard record that made me, gave me that same feeling of seeing you guys live. So I really want a chance to do this with this record. And that just worked out so well. Cause he's, from a sonic perspective, he's just smashed it on the park, I think.
0: Uh, and I yeah, I guess what's interesting with COVID, like you saying that, is as much as we all have these grand plans, and obviously as you evolve and with with how long you've been in the industry, you would have so many things still on the bucket list of that. But we've all kind of had to look a little bit closer to home. And I do love that something that you may not have ever had happen has kind of evolved from it. So there's always silver linings to be had, I guess. Absolutely. And- yeah, it's I, I love it, and I also love like you never know, like you might be a Birds of Tokyo. She had Carnival little tour on the cards. This-
1: if we can, if we can tour, I mean, no right. Start,
0: so. <laughs> but you know, I guess like, I can honestly say this sounds like I'm kissing your ass because I'm talking to you. But like the album, just from the start, like as soon as tear down those names kicked off, it just gripped me from the start. But. I know like it's like potentially asking you to choose a favorite child and ironically you do have children to choose from now but Mm. is there a particular song on the album you're most excited to play live that you haven't had a chance to yet when you can do this
1: um I do think tear down those names is is just one of those songs where it's just like wow that is a really unique bit of heavy music like modern music and um and it's just got so many crazy time signatures. Well, not not time signatures, but more a play on time, which I really like. I love what it's saying. Um, but from a physical perspective, it's, it moves really nicely. Like, I'm not sure if you've seen the video, but I, that is pretty much the movement I see in my head. You know, it's just like, it's a dance track. Probably one of the heavier dance tracks you'll hear, so that's probably the one for me, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, that was on my list too, so that makes me happy. I like, the Hill song got me from the name, but sonically, I'm gonna go with tear Down those names.
1: Awesome, man! I'm, with you. I'm, with you. I'm totally with you, I love it.
0: Yeah, and I know aside from the new album, you've been pretty busy. Like, you guys kept yourself busy, obviously, making the album, but you also got signed with Unify and you released the Split Ends cover. Yeah. What was it like to tackle I Got You and give it your kind of own spin on that song?
1: Well, luckily for us, I've been playing that in my solo acoustic shows for about six years, and so I know that song inside out. And I also know that if you get 200 people really drunk in a bar that know that song... When the chorus kicks in, it sort of sounds like Nirvana. So um, so I just was like, okay, I know exactly what we're going to do with this. We're going to strip away all the sort of cheesy 80s keyboards. We're going to basically make it as small and tight in the verses as possible and as huge and glorious in the chorus as possible and just keep it really straight. And um, And that was our chance to work with Adam Spark for the first time. It was actually more of a trial to see if he'd work on the... On the um, producing our album and it did work obviously because it sounds really good and it, it's ended up being on in the top 10 of the radio charts in new zealand for like almost a year which is totally weird to us because we just it was just to see if adam and us clicked really but it, it i did like it and and i did have neil finn i bumped into neil finn who wrote the song you know from split Crowder house i bumped into him at a show in auckland and he was like when i heard she we're going to do i got you i was thinking I've got my expectations high, but you you made it better than that. So I was like,
0: yes. Yeah, Neil,
1: if Neil Finn thinks it's awesome, then it's good with me. You know, only problem is he gets all the publishing. I don't see any of it.
0: <laughs> you get the high praise, but he gets the publishing. True, true. <laughs> sl- yeah, slight second, second
1: best. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: Interesting, like like you say that. I mean, you guys. You are considered to be one of the most successful international exports from New Zealand. I mean, you've been labelled the greatest Kiwi rock band of all time. And I swear, like us Aussies like to claim you, like we, like we do with everything. We claim everyone who's not here, who's been here long enough, and we'll just want you to stay forever. But oh. like the journey from high school to right now has obviously not been without its pro- own unique challenges and hurdles, yeah. but... Going back to those early days, like what was it like in Wellington, like when you were first getting started? Like how hard did you have to hustle and fight to get your music heard and get to this point in your career?
1: Well, I mean, we were just, we were like so determined, even as a bunch of metal dweebs at um, Wellington High School. It was like we literally didn't care about any other subject. We got the keys to the music room off the music teacher in the weekend, did that. We had no social life anyway, because we were total outsiders and dweebs and it was it was perfect for us because it was like revenge of the nerds here we go you know like we're going to be tight we're going to be the tightest band that we can possibly be and um and so really early on it was like we had a really good work ethic I think and um just because we didn't have any options to do anything else really more more than anything else but we discovered wow this is great feels awesome so let's just do it over and over again and then when we did get out playing I discovered that yes that because I was a bit of a class clown when I was at school, that that translates to being a singer in a rock and roll band really well, because I like being on stage. The, the thing is when we started, because we were going really fast thrash metal, the only bands we got could get booked with were not hard rock bands, but they were like punk bands and hardcore bands. So we used to play, you know, in front of like skinheads, all sorts of people. And it was like full on. It was a really good baptism of fire to um, to to be comfortable in that situation. And Wellington was hard, you know, like it was pretty hardcore. It's sort of like Melbourne. It's like, they don't, they don't, they don't applause easily. You know, they, it's like you have to impress them. So that was a good sort of starting point for us because then when we made the move to Australia, finally was to Melbourne because we knew it was the same vibe. It's like, if they, if they love you, they really love you, but you have to give them everything you've got, you know? And, um, I mean, I think we were also really lucky in the fact that we got asked to support ACDC when we were really young kids. Carl, our bass player, was still at high school. And we got to watch a band like that up close and go, oh, right, you have to work so much harder than we're working at the moment. And then we moved to, we came to Australia. The first band we toured with was Midnight Oil. Now, that, another formidable live act, you know, where you've got a singer who is literally channeling from a higher power and like giving it everything. So I think we were really fortunate in seeing a lot of quite inspired live acts, live rock and roll acts to just make sure that we had to lift our game all the time, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the opportunity not everyone always gets. And I mean, obviously you guys had the work ethic in you, so that's quite a fortunate thing as well. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, just casually with ACDC, oh, no big deal. Becoming, you know, the greatest rock band from New Zealand. (laughs) But like here we are like decades later and I will not keep you long because I know you're a very very busy man and you're about to hop on a plane but given you have joined me on the green room today and here is hoping that we can get so many more tours in our lives from you guys down the track what would be one essential item you would have backstage in your green room that would keep you sane or keep you occupied when you can eventually get this touring train back in action
1: I'm so boring like I'm just I'm like I just I just need water because we just like smash it out and it's just like I just got to hydrate man yeah. it's basically it. Yeah, water give me water yeah, yeah water's the stuff for me yeah,
0: yeah. I don't, it's definitely not boring and I think you know when you say how much energy you guys exert on stage I think we'd actually have to insist even if that wasn't the answer because otherwise I'd be very worried about you guys so, oh, totally. <laughs> so it makes me happy I'll be like a little sideband mum makes me very happy yeah. but Most importantly, like Old Gods is just incredible. I will be cranking it so many times and it is an album I think we all need right now at this point in 2021 and just humanity in general. But a huge congratulations for, you know, an album that we have all waited, not so patiently for, but we're finally here and it's so exciting. So thank you for joining me and thank you for the new tunes. Thanks for having me. For many She Had fans out there, myself included, today is a day that has been a long time coming that Old Gods, a.k.a. She Had's 10th album opus, is finally here. And I can't thank John enough for joining me today to share some of his stories behind the album and many, many more, especially while he's at the airport. I don't know about you, but my plans are entirely sorted for the rest of the day while I utterly devour the new album. But if you've already given Old Gods a solid spin and you're looking for more audio treats to listen to, You can catch up on other episodes of The Green Room, plus a heap of other podcasts, over at thepodcast.com.au. Or alternatively, you can grab a listen to all previous Green Room episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts from. There's so many, I'm not going to list them. The Green Room isn't just an audio adventure. You can also check out Green Room episodes on YouTube and watch me try not to laugh at inappropriate moments. Check out the podcast channel on YouTube, that is podcast plural, or just type in The Green Room with Tiana Speeter. It is that simple. If you do like what you're hearing, you know the drill. Subscribe, like, or tell a human or tell a pet who may like this podcast. And for those who stuck around with me to this point last week, I'm continuing my closing of these episodes with some bizarre yet oddly interesting trivia for you to trot out at your next dinner party or COVID-allowed picnic. The first successful vacuum cleaner was a horse-drawn, petrol-driven contraption that took four people to operate it. Have a think about that while you yell at your Roomba or bust out the Dyson over the weekend. Anyway, for now, I'm off to have a little she-had listening party. Have an awesome day, whatever you're planning on getting up to, and I will catch you next time on The Green Room.
1: Green Room with Tiana Spita is a podcast from the Handshake Agency Network produced by Tiana Spita and Andrew Mast with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewick.